privilege uh, to be with you all last year for your missions conference, and some of you have actually been to Cameroon, and so I won't take a, too long to uh, introduce or explain. We certainly were not um, expecting last year to be here again sometime this year, but God had other plans, and we're glad to be with His plans and His program today, despite uh, the situation, and we say despite uh, the circumstances. It is a great privilege to be here today, and I'm just going to ask you to turn right away in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. You all know that 2 Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles penned by Paul to his son in the faith, young protege Timothy. Our text begins with a therefore, and so as you all know in Bible college, when you see a therefore or a wherefore, you have to go back and see what the therefore or the wherefore is there for, and I'm sure you've all learned that in uh, hermeneutics and in your Bible studies. Well, we see a therefore, and I'm going to look back at that in just a moment, but uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 explains that running the Christian life the way God expects it is not a game. When you get saved, you enter the global war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Paul describes this, quote, holy calling with words like service, verse 3. I'm talking about chapter 1 here. We're, we're looking back at what the therefore is there for. He talks about tears in verse 4 and fear in verse 7 and uses the word prisoner in verse 8 and afflictions, verse 8, and suffering, verse 12. And then he says in verse 15 that all of his companions in Asia abandoned him and forsook him. And he talks about chains in verse 16. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's not playing games. Now to be fair, Paul also describes in the same 2 Timothy chapter 1, words like grace and mercy and peace, verse 2, and joy, verse 4, and power and love and a sound mind in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, verse 7, and the power of God, verse 8, and then that refreshing Onesiphorus, that man who even though all of the local brothers abandoned Paul, Onesiphorus apparently went from dungeon to dungeon to dungeon, <laughs> looking for Paul until he found him, and he was a great refreshing to him. What a blessing. I have two objectives today. First, I want to tell you about one of the soldiers who recently died in this global battle. And I also want to challenge you as young people to get with the program. That's the title of our message today, Get With The Program. I want to challenge you to quit playing games, Put on the whole armor of God and get with the program. Now let's look at our text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be, say that word with me, a soldier. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much for your precious word. Father, we know that you have called us a holy calling you've given us as soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we know there are rough times. Being a soldier is not easy, but the devil is not playing games. And, oh God, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit, both 
me as I speak and every person in this room. Fill them with your spirit as they listen. And Father, as your spirit speaks to us through your word, I pray, dear Lord, that we would respond with a yes to your leading and directing today. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 44 years ago, on August 24, 1974, Charles Truman Wesco was born on the K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base in Michigan. A little more than four years later, he was born again by repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was the oldest of ten children, and his parents, Virgil and Rebecca, raised their children to be servants and soldiers of the Lord. I had the privilege of being in their home just over two weeks ago, and uh, we sat with Charles' parents and several of his brothers and sisters. We had a meal together, we prayed together, we talked and uh, I couldn't help but notice as we sat at that big dining room table. You have to have a big table when you have 10 kids and then in-laws start coming in. And I couldn't help but notice sitting at that large table looking up at the mantel above the fireplace, there was a painting. Now oftentimes in, in that prominent place in the house, people will put a picture of their family or maybe some beautiful landscape or something like that. But I couldn't help but notice in that home, it was a painting, but it was a painting of a bow a quiver, and ten arrows. And each of those ten arrows had a name of one of the children, the Wesco children. See, the Wescos were raising their children to be soldiers. And every day those children had to see that painting. And they were reminded of what the Bible says in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Most parents today are trying to raise well-adjusted, fit-into-society successful children. And there's nothing wrong with raising successful children if your definition of success is found in this book. I think you all know that the word success is only found one time in the Bible. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God wants each and every one of us to be a success, but your success is directly related to your relationship with this book right here. Meditating and obeying this book is the definition of success in God's eyes. And I thank God that the Westcos raised their children to be a success and soldiers for the Lord. At age 8, Charles was called to ministry, and at age 15, he surrendered to go wherever the Lord of hosts commissioned him to serve in the global conflict. Something life-formative happened to Charles when he was just 12 years old. His grandmother, who we also had the privilege of sitting with both his grandmother and grandfather a couple weeks ago, and uh, we sat down in their living room, and uh, she informed us that when he was 12, she gave him a tuning hammer. And a blind piano tuner taught Charles how to tune pianos. Charles was absolutely brilliant. He was a good steward of the finances God entrusted to him, and he became the youngest person ever to pass the registered piano technician's exam and founded the Wesco Piano Service Company while still a youth. 
his business and work in the piano factory. His grandfather owned a piano factory and he went to work uh, tuning the pianos. When they would finish building a piano, he would tune it before they would ship it out. And, and, and sometimes his parents told me a couple weeks ago he would line up 20 pianos and tune 20. It takes about an hour to, to tune a piano and he would tune all those pianos. Well, that was going on very, very successfully, including his business to the point that uh, some observing Charles' work and so forth uh, begin to suggest that little Charles is making too much money. I mean, he's making a lot of money as, as, a, uh, as a little guy. And uh, his father shared at his memorial service just recently that, uh, again, going to his brilliance and uh, business uh, smarts and so forth, and the way he was making money, um, one of his sisters wanted to learn to play the harp. And so Charles started shopping around and researching and studying to find out what kind of harp she would need if she was going to serve the Lord and use that for his honor and glory. And so he discovered one, found it, went out and bought an $18,000 harp for his little sister to learn to play the harp and continue. Uh, um, when, when Charles was ready to buy a house and there was a house uh, presented to him, unlike uh, most people who go out and begin to negotiate with the bank and mortgage, Charles just went out and bought the house. I mean, that's just the kind of guy he was. He was brilliant in finances and business, and I have no doubt that he could have easily been a millionaire long before the normal retirement age. But let me tell you something. Charles never saw himself as a businessman. In fact, he called his piano business his tent-making ministry. Charles saw himself as a soldier. The Bible says here in our text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Young people, we need to realize we are called to be soldiers. It's been very interesting going from college to college to college in the last couple weeks. And um, some of the teachers and some of the administration coming to me and saying, it is incredible the worldliness and the mentality of the things of this world that these young people coming out of high school and coming into our colleges and Bible colleges are coming with. Young people, we're called to be soldiers. This is not our home. This world is not our home. We are soldiers for the time being in this world. I heard Charles once say in a, in a sermon that you can still hear online, serving Christ, quote, serving Christ always comes with a cost. And if you're not ready for that, get your act together, go back to your prayer closet. This world is not our home. We are called sojourners and pilgrims and soldiers not people who make big homesteads and focus on living in this world, end quote. That was his mentality. In his late 20s, Charles was burdened about the need for a helpmeet to aid him in his kingdom warfare, and he prayed and fasted for weeks at a time for God's leading and provision for a helpmeet. The story goes that while tuning the piano of Pastor Williams in Warsaw, Indiana, Charles met his bride-to-be. And for some reason, that piano could never hold a tune from that time forward. He had to keep going back and going back and going back. And uh, they eventually developed a relationship and uh, were married when Charles was 30 years old. At the age of 30, they were married. And like their parents before them, both Charles and Stephanie wanted to train arrows to speak with the enemy in the gate. God blessed them with six boys and two girls and three already in heaven. And I can honestly say, I've never seen a man with a more balanced passion for family and ministry as Charles Wesley. 
few years ago, Charles got his overseas commission from the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord. Now, I'm sure some people were thinking, Brother Charles, you've got this great business going. You're already, you've been assistant pastor in your church for more than a decade. Uh, you've started a Bible institute. You've started a Bible memory program for children. You've started a school of theology in your local church. God's using you here. Why would you want to go across the ocean? Why would you want to take your family of eight children and, and go to a different country across the globe? But I heard Charles say this once as well, quote, I'm all for family. I came from a big family. My wife came from a big family. But we're not here to set up Tower of Babels. We can have so many things in a family that can be business, that can be ministry, that can be church, that our young people aren't willing to stretch out their necks and go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature across the world. End quote. God directed Charles to the battlefield, some people call it the mission field, to the battlefield of Africa. In 2015, Charles and Stephanie and their two oldest boys took a month-long survey trip among three countries in Africa. Near the end of their survey, the West Coast ended up staying in our home in Bombili, Cameroon. We talked about the needs in Cameroon. We talked about missions. We talked about the Lord Jesus and the gospel. And we stayed up way too late every single night early into the morning, eventually talking about how we could reach Cameroon for Christ by His grace. Shortly after their return to the States, the Lord knit our hearts together during that time and, and we began to pray and seek the Lord and it became clear that God was leading us to work together as co-workers and co-soldiers in Cameroon. While on deputation, civil war broke out in two of the ten regions or states in Cameroon. Most foreigners left our area and some suggested that all non-essential personnel should leave the country or leave the Northwest and Southwest at least. We prayed and we sought counsel. It was quite a time of seeking the Lord. What should we do? All the other missionaries pretty much have left. Peace Corps has left. Are we supposed to be here or not? But as we sought this military manual and godly counsel and prayed and sought the Lord, we realized that the only way peace is going to come to Cameroon is through the gospel of peace. Diplomats and bullets and violence will never bring peace to Cameroon. Only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can bring peace to Cameroon. And so as we continue to pray for revival in Cameroon, we realized that soldiers needed to remain. And I thank God for the soldiers, the Cameroonian soldiers who are still there, by the way. Well aware of the eternal stakes and the present dangers, the West Coast arrived in Cameroon on October 18th, just barely a month ago. Charles wrote to his father their first Sunday in Cameroon stating this. This is what he wrote in an email to his father, the first Sunday in Cameroon. Quote, We do have a very caring and loving God to lean upon, be it here or in the USA, was beyond doubt in sovereign control of who falls and where and to what weapons, even down to the small sparrow. Charles Wesco and his family moved to Cameroon to tell sinners how they could be saved and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. 
around midday of October 30th as we drove through a major intersection between our home and Bominda. One of those sinners, who Stephanie is still praying, will come to know the Lord as Savior, fired his shotgun through my car, mortally wounding Charles Wesco, and immediately componing him to the rank of martyr in the King's Army. I can't tell you the rest of the story because I don't know it yet. But I do know the end, and I know Jesus wins. I know what side wins. I do know that nine people have trusted Christ as a direct result of this testimony. One of them was a Cameroonian just two weeks ago in Illinois who heard the story, a Cameroonian from Bamenda, the very city we were driving to that day. He heard about a missionary, a Baptist missionary, being shot and killed in Cameroon, and he began to wonder, why in the world would an American go to Cameroon? I don't even want to go to Cameroon, he said to himself. And so he went, found a Baptist church, and asked them why a Baptist missionary was in Cameroon. And that wise man took his Bible and shared the gospel of peace with him, why missionaries go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Julius trusted Christ as his Savior and was baptized last Sunday in Illinois. Nine people have trusted Christ as a direct result of this testimony. We've also been able to go around and preach in colleges and universities in the Midwest so far. And several, several, I think about a dozen, have surrendered their lives to missions. And two, uh, just in those meetings, have feel the Lord's leading them to Cameroon. And there have been at least six, at least six others I just talked to, the one again on Sunday desires to come to Cameroon as a missionary. When we prayed for peace in Cameroon, when we prayed for revival in Cameroon, we did not know that this was going to be the cause. We just said, God, we're soldiers. And we go wherever He wants to go. Some people call Charles Westo a hero. And some people call him a fool. And I want to take the rest of our time that we have today and look at what the Bible says about missionaries and Charles Wesco in particular. I believe that God is a missionary God. David Livingston said God had only one son and he made him a missionary. And I would go so far as to say God is so passionate about missions that he made himself a missionary. <laughs> That's the way I describe it. I believe God is a missionary God and I believe the local church is a missionary body. I don't think missions is a ministry of the local church. I see that often on, on church websites, a tab with a bunch of ministries and missions is one of them. I believe that reaching the world with the gospel is the mission of the local church. I believe the Bible is a missionary book and I've tested that. I've read the beginning to the end of the Bible specifically looking for missions and the theme of missions and I've got more than 50 pages of notes if you ever want to see it. I found missions in every single book of the Bible. It's there. That, that is God's passion. That is God's desire. His first command was, be fruitful, multiply, and fill up the earth. God has had a vision of red, yellow, black, and white, praising, glorifying, and serving Him forever in a perfect heaven and earth, forever and ever and ever. When I was a freshman in Bible college, uh, our missions, intro to missions teacher, Dr. Daryl Champlin, had all of us as freshmen memorize what he called the eternal purpose of God. The eternal purpose of God is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. And he had us memorize what uh, he described as the eternal purpose of God. And I've never forgotten it. 
The eternal purpose of God is to call out from every kindred, tongue, people, and nation a multitude redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, over whom He will crown His Son, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, King of kings and Lord of lords forever. This is the passion of the heart of God that cannot be quenched. The obsession of His mind that cannot be denied. The vision of His eyes from eternity past to eternity future that will not dim and the destination to which He has committed His omnipotent, immutable, eternal being, a destination that He will not abandon. That is God's program in the world today, young people. That is what He is doing. That is His program. When I was very young, I remember one day my dad coming into my bedroom, sitting down on the bed next to me, and said something very curious to me. He said, how does it feel to be a wildcat? What in the world? That was the strangest thing my dad had ever asked me, I think. What, do you, what in the world? I don't even know what a wildcat is. Is that like a tomcat? or what, what, is, what is a wildcat? Well, what I found out is my dad had signed me up for Little League Baseball, and I was on the Wildcats team. I was not really thrilled about baseball. The only thing I knew about baseball, my dad was a Cubs fan, and that was a very, very sad thing to be in those days, and often uh, even uh, since then, except for one year. But anyway, um, baseball, I just had absolutely no interest in baseball whatsoever. Uh, I, in fact, uh, I'm more into, uh, well, I don't know what I'm into, but baseball was not it at the time. And I can remember one day, we were in a practice, I can't remember if it was a practice or a game, but I was out in right field, and uh, if you know anything about Little League Baseball, you know you put the worst player on the team in right field, because the ball never goes out there. It goes to left field sometimes, but it doesn't go to right field. And so I was out in right field, I think I got on base one time that entire year because I got hit by a pitch, and so I got an automatic walk to first base. And I was out in right field sitting out there, which is not how you play baseball. You don't sit out in right field. And I was checking out this dandelion or something, wondering, wondering if I was going to blow all the seeds off or what I was going to do with this thing. And I remember my coach noticing me out there in right field. And he looked at me, and he hollered at the top of his lungs, Ben, get with the program! And I remember jumping up thinking, there really is a program going on here. I mean, there's eight other guys out here and we're part of a game and, and the game is part of a, a series and the series is part of a league and there's all this going on and I need to make a decision. Am I going to play with dandelions or am I going to get with the program? I said, well, my dad's pretty committed to this so I better, I better get with it. My dad was committed to it. He'd take us to the batting cages and play ball with us in the backyard and my brother and I and some of our neighbors were playing baseball more and more, we actually wore out a diamond shape in our backyard just from playing baseball so much. And that next year, I got a trophy that second year in Italy. Most improved. <laughs> Which isn't saying much, but I was happy. It motivated me, it encouraged me to get with the program even more, and we practiced more. And the third year, I remember getting another trophy, MVP. And I can remember practicing more and more, and I can remember as I got older and stronger and play different positions and I can remember hitting that first home run over the fence and the joy of baseball that I never had before when I first started and had no interest in the program 
Now listen, I didn't become more athletic. I didn't become, you know, I just got with the program. That was it. That's what I'm challenging us to do today. Young people, we do have more than the ability to just get with the program. We have the Holy Spirit, the God of heaven, who is doing this program here. And He's looking for soldiers who will just sign up and say, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Yes, sir. Wherever. Yes. To the Holy Spirit of God. You don't need to turn there because you have the verse memorized and I'm going to come back to 2 Timothy 2 at the end. But Mark 16, 15 is a verse that you probably all have memorized. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go. Young people, I've been so encouraged to hear about these programs that are going on. Some of you staying up probably till close to midnight and uh, these things that we're talking about today, the Christmas program and thousands that will be hearing the gospel here. This, that thrills my heart. Why? Because that's the program. That's what we're here for. God could have easily saved us and glorified us and take us to heaven immediately, but He left us here as soldiers to continue a program that He is going to do till the very end of time. And I thank God for those who are involved. But listen, if you're not going with the gospel, if your purpose, your mission as a soldier of Jesus Christ is not going with the gospel every day, I want to challenge you today, get with the program. That's why we're here. That's why He left us in this battlefield. Go with the gospel. It also says, go ye. And that's one of those old English words. I'm so grateful for the King James Version that still makes a distinction between the you singular and the ye plural. And uh, most, as you well know, most modern translations do not do that. Uh, most people here in the Midwest do not do that. It's you singular, you plural. Now, I'm from Chattanooga. We still make that distinction. We still have you and y'all. And if it's a big group like this, we even have another level. All y'all, right? I mean, we've got like three levels and two levels of plural, okay? But that's what God is saying here. He's commanding us, go y'all, go ye into all the world. This command is not just for missionaries, young people. Listen to me. This changed my life when I realized this. I was at a Christian camp, and the, and the speaker spoke from Matthew chapter 28. And I was a soldier, I was a Bible major in Bible college, and I was telling the Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, I'll go wherever you want me to, do, to go, and you know what, I realized for the first time in my life, this command was for me. Go ye all into all the world. Into all the world. Listen to me very carefully, not just the easy places into all the world, including the north and southwest regions of Cameroon, where there is conflict, and there is difficulty, and there is danger. Go ye into all the world. In September of this year, I had the privilege to go to the Adamawa region with Brother Daniel and his wife and Brother Tom Needham. And we went up there and surveyed, and we saw an area about half Muslim, half non-Muslim, desperate, desperate need of the gospel. We went in October, my family and I, to the south region of Cameroon. And yes, we saw chimpanzees and gorillas, and we saw a lot of interesting things. But you know what else we saw? Or I should say didn't see? We did not see even one, not one Baptist church in the entire south region of Cameroon. Not a liberal Baptist, not a convention Baptist. No Baptist churches that we could find in the entire south region of Cameroon. I've been to Bertua in the east where the pygmies live. 
desperate, desperate need of the gospel. I've been to the central region, the capital, Yaoundé in Cameroon, that needs the gospel. I've been to the littoral region, the most populated city in Cameroon, Douala, right on the coast. More than two, maybe close to three million people in that one city. And there's just a couple of small independent Baptist churches in that entire city of millions of people. Go ye, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. There's the west region, the north and the extreme north regions of Cameroon. Almost entirely 100% Muslim, those north and extreme north regions. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. These other eight regions that I just described, anybody who goes to school know regions, they speak French. With French and English, you can pretty much share the gospel with anybody in the nation of Cameroon. And that's just one nation. The Bible says, go ye into all the world. And do what? Preach the gospel. Now in Cameroon, we've got the social gospel and we've got the prosperity gospel. Oh my, so many perverted gospels. But we need soldiers who will go and preach the gospel of peace in Cameroon and soldiers who will go and preach the gospel from this book. Christ's gospel around the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know it very well. It says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Both. Young people, I'm challenging you to get with the program. But as I was reading in my devotions this morning in John chapter 4, and the disciples came out, and Jesus was sitting there just witnessing to the woman at the well and so forth, and they came out, and what did Jesus say? Jesus said to them, guys, listen to me. Say not four months, and then cometh harvest. College students, listen to me. Don't say, when I finish my four-year Bible degree, then I'll go out. No, 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 no. Now. Get with the program now. Go ye now both in Jerusalem and the uttermost parts of the earth. Go now. Get with the program now. I know that not all of us can go overseas. Now, all of us in this room probably could, and that would be great. I hear about 40% are already missions majors. Is that right? Something like that. Uh, I have no doubt that if every person in this room surrendered to go overseas, that your local churches uh, could, could support and send you all to the mission field, all right? But I know, practically speaking, not every child of God is to go overseas somewhere. But the Bible does say you are commanded to get with the program, both locally and abroad. Um, I think it was missionary Carey who said that he felt like when he went to the mission field, he was going down into a mine, and the men in that prayer group, those Baptists who were praying, were those who were holding the ropes. And there's a powerful illustration with those holding the ropes going down into the mine of, of missions. Some churches, uh, they give missionaries the rope. <laughs> and some churches give them the rope and they pray and they send them and they support them. Young people, I want to challenge you today. God may not have commanded or called you, I should say, to go overseas, but He has commanded you to give the rope and to pray for missionaries and to be involved in that. Paul says, labor together with Him. 
through our prayers in missions. We are praying for 100 missionaries. 100 missionaries to Cameroon. That's just 10 missionaries in each region. And as I've said, I think the number is up to six or seven now uh, in the last couple weeks who have identified themselves and have surrendered to go to Cameroon as missionaries. I just shared a little bit a few minutes ago about God's leading in my life as a college student at a Christian camp. Speaker spoke from Matthew chapter 28, and without any heads bowed or any eyes closed, he asked if anybody was surrendering to be a missionary in that service to come forward right to the front. And three of us came forward that day. I'd like to give a similar invitation today, if I may. Charles Wesco did not cease to exist or die away on October 30th. I, I believe, as I look at the scriptures, specifically looking at martyrs, you see a group of martyrs in Revelation chapter 6, and they're praying. And their prayer is, God, how long? How long? God, you see the suffering going on in this world. You see the injustice. How long the martyrs are praying? And I believe they're still praying that, or are praying that right now. The idea of how long indicates to me that they know the time, and they know the suffering, and they know what's going on. And I don't doubt that Charles Wesco knows what's going on in this room right now, and that he's praying. Dear God, help these young people to get into the program. I brought this today, and some of you probably saw it. I like to illustrate the ministry of Charles Wesco, not as a marathon runner who finished his course and that was the end. I like to look at his life as a relay. Because in a relay race, when the first runner finishes, he doesn't just leave and hit the showers and go to lunch. He passes the baton to the next runner. And then he stays and he cheers them on and encourages them and motivates them. And I like to look at that today. Charles Wesco is praying, Lord, how long? How long? But I believe he's also cheering us on. And more importantly than that, the Lord Jesus Christ is cheering us on and commanding us today. Young people, get with the program. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want to challenge us today to take that baton. Challenge us to take it to Cameroon and take it around the world. With everybody seated, no eyes closed, no heads bowed, I'd like to ask three questions in invitation today. Number one, maybe the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart. You've heard these events the last several weeks, and maybe the Lord's been burning your heart for weeks, or maybe even years you've been hearing about Cameroon. Maybe the Lord is burning you for some other place right now. Let me encourage you. That burden is not coming from the devil, young people. God's working in your heart right now. And I want to encourage you to say yes. My first question is this. If God is leading you today during this chapel to say, I'll be a soldier for Jesus Christ. I'll go wherever He wants me to do, wherever He wants me to go, and I believe He's calling me to foreign missions today. If that's your decision and that's your commitment, you'd be willing to take the baton and go 
ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Would you stand up right where you are right now? We saw the command. We saw the command. Both Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth. Now let me ask this question. God may not be calling you to foreign missions today, but you know, you know God is commanding you to be involved in the program around the world. If you're here today and you say, I'm, I'm going to be with the program. It, it might not be in a foreign field, but I am going to send, I am going to pray, I am going to support missions around the world, and I'm going to be faithful right here, right in this corner of the mission field or the battlefield for God's honor and glory. Would you stand right where you are as well, please? Now, young people, if the Lord is leading you to Cameroon, I'm purchasing 100 of these batons. And if the Lord is leading you to Cameroon, please see me after this service. I'd like to get in touch with you. I'd like to stay in contact with you. I'd like to send you one of these batons. And I'd like you all to ask, like to ask you all as well to continue to pray with us, if you would, that God would raise up 100 missionaries for Cameroon. Would you do that for us? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the testimony standing before me, the army standing before me. 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, God, I'm trusting if you tarry your coming, that these soldiers will be spread out across the globe preaching the gospel to every creature. Oh, God, my heart thrills in that. Lord, bless them. May they see that this life is not a joke. It's not a game. The devil is playing for keeps. He is in a battle. And we need to put on the armor of God, and we need to be soldiers. Oh, God, bless. Bless in hearts. Commit these things in our lives today, for we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ.